Hey folks, before we go beyond the pond, we just want to talk about another excellent podcast from Osiris Media. We're talking about No Simple Road. No Simple Road is, at its heart, a Grateful Dead podcast that jumps off the initial music, lineage, fan scene, what have you, of the Grateful Dead into the wide-ranging jam band world. Stories of life on the road, stories of recovery, stories of music, friendship, what have you. Aaron and Melanie are hosts, broadcast from their porch in Portland, Oregon. It's a really unique, really fascinating deep dive into this larger cultural sphere that has come off of the initial music from San Francisco in the 60s and from the Grateful Dead and their longevity. It's a fantastic podcast I've been listening to since it debuted in 2017. It moves at a pace that I wish I could move throughout my entire life. And uh, it has just such a great appreciation for small moments, music, friendship, conversation that I just really admire. So I cannot recommend No Simple Road here from Osiris Media enough. We should endeavor to spend as much time as possible hanging out on the porch with No Simple Road. I echo what Brian said. It's a really well done podcast. They have some excellent interviews. Aaron and Melanie and their friends are really excellent people. If you have any interest in the improvisational music scene, the Grateful Dead, jam bands in general, you really should check out No Simple Road on Osiris Media. And with that, let's get to the show. If your cup be empty, if your cup is full, may it be again, let it be known. There is a fountain. I'm David Goldstein. I am Brian Brinkman. You're listening to episode 88 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast which, generally speaking, Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish as a means of getting a listener to listen to other bands. These are usually not jam bands because we love Fish. We are Fish fans. But sometimes the problem with Fish fans is they get a bit myopic only focus on every single statistic about their favorite band and related bands. And really, we're just trying to get them to go beyond the pond, listen to something else. But at the same time, this is a big pond. Anybody is welcome. Anybody who is looking to expand their mind with some new music, you are welcome here. Absolutely. And today's episode... It's a really fascinating one. It's one where I learned a ton. I felt like I was being guided beyond the pond by Dave and and company. And uh, it's a great deep dive into a facet of fish that 
I don't think it's talked about enough. We definitely don't talk about it enough here on Beyond the Pond, but it's a really important aspect of where fish is at here in 2020 and where uh, Trey's heart and mind and artistic creativity has really been over the last five years in a truly prominent way. And that is focusing on Broadway fish. Absolutely. There is a deep connection of the music of Broadway to that of fish. Both are theatrical, they tell stories, there's peaks and valleys, and really, the best fish show is like a fantastic Broadway show. It takes you on a journey, you will laugh, you will cry, and then two and a half hours later, you will feel like a million bucks. So, in order for us to do that, we actually we uh, have some guests on this podcast, which I will discuss The first is my very good friend, very good fish ally, a man who I have known since I think I was seven years old, my good friend Kevin Finkel, who is um, kind of instrumental in getting this episode together. He's a very good friend who is down to come on the podcast, so he is one of the people you will be hearing from. And then the other two individuals, both were involved in a off-Broadway show that Kevin told me I absolutely had to see called The Other Josh Cohen, which I believe completed its off-Broadway run in May of 2019, but the rights are recently picked up, so it's actually going to be uh, it's going to be performed in many different parts of the country. So, the first person is a guy by the name of David Rosmer, who was one of the co-writers of The Other Josh Cohen, along with a guy named Steve Rosen. So he co-wrote it, and he also starred in it, and wrote most of the music, and he also happens to be a very big fish fan. And the other person we're going to be speaking with is, is Elizabeth Nesselroad, who was in the other Josh Cohen. She uh, was one of the actresses on stage. Also a big fish fan. Certainly um, has a significant connection to the band that you are going to hear about. So it's a wide-ranging discussion in which we talk about uh, their connection to fish, Broadway's connection to fish, and uh, certainly my feelings about Broadway, Kevin's feelings about Broadway, and uh, I guess, Brian, your feelings about Broadway. Absolutely. I uh, This is a part of the musical and entertainment world that I have been not removed from. I just haven't really been a part of throughout my entire life, and when we started talking about this episode, uh, it was really fascinating for me as like a opportunity to learn about where the crossroads are between fish and the world of Broadway, but also to just hear people from this subculture uh, describe, you know, the music that they get into, their own personal schedules, what it's like for them to uh, be consistently surrounded by this much creativity. It was really fascinating. Uh, one of those, one of these episodes, uh, I kind of equate it to our Yola Tango episode, although I had a little bit more knowledge going into that, but where I was able to just kind of like sit back and really learn a ton. And that's a lot of fun for me as well. Um, so I think you guys are going to get a bunch out of this. Clearly, the world of Broadway has impacted the fish scene and fish's performances, most notably uh, their um, some of their Halloween shows, as well as their New Year's runs, most obviously, uh, and in some cases, their festival sets as well uh, throughout the 3.0 era as Trey has become more immersed in the 
overall world and has uh, sought to bring aspects of it over to fish in really special and unique performances. So I think you guys are going to get a lot of out of this. Uh, and Dave, we're going to be playing some music here as well. I think you wanted to uh, go through that. Yeah, so we recorded this episode back on, um, I believe, December 16, 2019. So this was even before we realized that uh, the fish, big New Year's holiday gag, was very much a Broadway Broadway style production. So um, what we decided to do was there was a bunch of songs that were mentioned during this episode. Instead of trying to weave them in and out of the episode, we put together a medley at the end of the episode, which... Uh, will come so the first song we played was from the show floyd collins it's called how glory goes and we had a song written by george salazar and the great joe iconis that's is called the goodbye song then from hedwig and the angry inch we played wig in a box from once great movie and fantastic broadway production we played if you want me and when your mind's made up from Blood Brothers, we played Shoes Upon the Table. And finally, from the Who's album, Tommy, we played Sparks. Of course, uh, Tommy is both a studio album and a Broadway production. We decided to play the one from the studio album because uh, the fish has been known to cover it. So you'll be hearing um, a lot from ourselves and Kevin Finkel and David Rossmer and Elizabeth Nesselrode. Without further ado, let's get to the Fish Broadway episode of Beyond the Pond. Okay. Hey, folks. I'm uh, very happy to be here with... Um, you're hearing me and Brian, and also on this episode of Beyond the Pond, my very close friend Kevin Finkel, who I have to say this all Broadway episode was kind of his idea. Hey, Kev. Hey, Dave. Hey, guys. Hey. And also, I'm here with David Rossmer. And Hello. hey, Dave. What's going on? And Elizabeth Nesselrode. Did I pronounce that correctly? That's right, you did. First try. All right, fantastic. So basically, the purpose of this podcast, like on Beyond the Pond, we're always trying to get the fish fan to uh, expand their mind a bit. And we've wanted to do a Broadway episode for a very long time because I'm a huge Broadway fan. Kevin is a huge Broadway fan. So we thought the best way to go about this was uh, speak to some people who write and perform for a living and often also have the benefit of being very big fish fans, from what I'm told. So I'll just um, start off by saying the way we came about this was, uh, David, I um, first heard about you from Kevin when he absolutely told me I had to go see this show off Broadway called The Other Josh Cohen. <laughs> so I think Kevin saw it like four or five times before he got me to see it. Kevin so, is excellent yeah. <laughs> Give me a little insight into what that is and will continue to be. Uh, Kevin's good taste or the show? <laughs> I know about Kevin's good taste, but um, 
No, the you mean the what the other Josh Cohen was? Well, it was a it was an off Broadway musical that actually Elizabeth was in. True story. So yes. were you, David, and you also wrote it with C. Yeah, <laughs> I was stupid enough to be in it. Um, <laughs> but uh, but which I'll never do again. But yeah, it was <laughs> it was fun. It was a fun show, and I would say maybe like the score of the musical is a very contemporary musical, you know, sort of a romantic comedy. Um, kind of modern day Job story. And the score was slightly in the style of Neil Diamond a little bit. Um, <laughs> another fun fish, I guess. Um, and it was cool because when we were auditioning, well, it's it's sort of the cast of the show, the way we did it at least, uh, was is also the band. So all the actors played right. instruments at the same time, and then they would jump away, like come out from behind the drums and and do a scene, or you know, put down the trumpet or the guitar and do something. And it was like fun to watch, and uh, we needed people who were like uber talented, who were funny and could act and could sing, and could play instruments also. And uh, and Elizabeth was one of those people we were fortunate enough to get. And when she came in, she had like learned like three <laughs> instruments like the night before or something. I had like uh, six days, but yeah. <laughs> um, and she had come in and she had said, and, and one of the instruments she played was the bass. And we were basically like, yeah, I just, I, I took this lessons that you probably don't know. this guy, Mike Gordon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, interesting. And I'm happy to say that we did not get cast because of that. I'm happy to say that too. (laughs) But it was cool. Yeah. So she actually had bass skills like Mike. I had never played the bass before. And Mike said he had never uh, taught before, but it was really useful. (laughs) He had some great tips. So it went well. I I have to ask, um, you know, most like rudimentary guitar teachers are going to just teach you like, initial scales or chords mm-hmm. i can't really imagine mike comes in at that standard from a teaching standpoint what 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 was his lesson plan well i came to him saying listen i have six days so we basically have two hours so i was like what what do i absolutely need to know and i had come with a song because i was playing a different piece of a song for each instrument and okay. so i was like okay this is what I'm trying to play. And so mostly what we talked about was um, how to pluck the strings, like literally just the style. And he talked about uh, one of his greatest teachers talked to him about, it feels like you're pulling a rope and that you stop the pull of the string by hitting the next string, which is so different than guitar. So that was just really useful to know these little differences that I think get that big bass sound that all the Fish fans love. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I love that he went with that approach. Yeah. So it wasn't like in the Skype session, he said, okay, here's the bass line for It's Ice, good work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not quite. Not quite. (laughs) But how did... No, I was just going to say, how did... How were you introduced to Mike Gordon? Um, Was that just like... It was actually through musical theater, funny enough. Uh, I was doing a production of a musical called Once, which is another actor-musician show show, uh, that I've done a lot. Yeah, I love that show. And I've now done four productions of it regionally. And 
let's see, this was two summers ago, I was doing a production up in Burlington, Vermont. And in the show, I play uh, a Czech woman who plays piano and who has a daughter. And so generally theaters will hire the adult actors from New York and they will find one or two local girls to play the daughter. And so the one of the two local girls in this production in Burlington, Vermont was Mike Gordon's daughter, Tessa. So she played my daughter. And since Mike wasn't on tour yet, because this was in June, so they hadn't left for tour, um, he was around a lot. He was this like lovely rehearsal dad, you know? So I met him first as the dad of this sweet little girl who was so supportive and coming and sitting in and watching rehearsals. And he just fell in love with this show. And so through that, I kind of became friends with the whole family. And so I've gotten to spend time with him and Sue and Tessa when they've been in New York and I've music directed a reading his daughter was in and then hung out with them at New Year's and it's just hmm. turned into a whole thing. And I know Mike's also, he's become such a big fan of once he had his band learn several of the songs they did. Uh, they do when your mind's made up, which is one of the songs from the show. And they also do if you want me, which I ended up singing with him. He had me sit in uh, with the band at white Eagle hall, which was a crazy experience. So right, I had some friends. Circle, yeah. <laughs> no, I was going to say I had like friends who went to that show. Yeah. I was not at that concert. Yeah. I had friends who went and then they said like, yeah, Mike got up with uh, this girl and they sang like songs from once. Yeah. So I figured my first thing was, oh, cool. You learned how to play like falling slowly. And then I saw the set list and I'm like, oh no, they did, no. they did the slow jam. I know it was crazy. And you know, he didn't tell me that he was going to do that. He had asked me to come uh, early for sound check, and he was like, "Just for fun, I just like you know, like want to play this song." So we sang through it with the band, which he said was just going to be for sound check. But then he called me down um, for the encore, and so I was like, "Okay, we're we're doing this." Oh. So yeah, there you go. That's incredible. <laughs> it was a blast. Yeah, and I saw that. I think we that those videos were on YouTube, and they're mm-hmm. they're great. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was so much fun. It's so interesting the overlap between the two worlds because they're similar but different, and it's fun to kind of cross over. So I guess, David, this is more of a question for you. Um, what came first, like your love for theater or the love for fish? Was it kind of like chicken and the egg, or what's like? How does like the love for fish influence your work? It's it's a great question. That um, you know, I had always liked all different kinds of music. My mom had records of all shapes and sizes. Um, but I found that funny enough, the answer was like in between. Mm. And I would always gravitate towards the records that sound that had some kind of concept or story to them. Like, okay. like Sergeant Peppers, I remember, mm-hmm. or um, Cats, you know, that. <laughs> Because that's what they had. And so I listened to it and there was like a double disc or whatever, you know, uh, and, and uh, Jesus Christ Superstar and uh, The Wall and uh, Tommy and those kinds of things. And didn't really get into the arts until later and, and started to um, realize that there were, there were places where at least my love of music and love of storytelling combined. And so I sort of fallen in love with those kinds of shows in terms of musicals. 
And then in college, heard Game Henge for the first time. Hmm. <laughs> it was after it was it was I think it was I had I was already a fan of them. Just so I was becoming more of a fan. Um and uh and it was funny because you know, unlike other stuff before it, it, it sort of reveals itself slowly. And when you're first hearing it for the first time, and I remember, I think I was pledging a fraternity and I was the only one who had a car and my way out of getting out of physical labor was just to drive everybody everywhere. <laughs> and they were all huge fish fans. And so they would, I would just have live tapes in the car and I started to fall in love with it. And so then when I heard Game Henge, when someone had some obscure thing with Game Henge on it, that was really when I fell in love with it because um, I, I just was, that was exactly what I loved. It was sort of this compelling story through their music, which was different than Oklahoma. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that was really fun for me. And it made me as much as I liked it before, that made me want to write musicals. Um, All all the game hand songs are so incredible. Like, I don't think, They've done a what they haven't done a full game hen set, Brian, since what ninety four? Was that great? Was ninety yeah. four? July eighth, ninety four. Yeah, was July ninety four was the last game hen set. Okay. And it's funny because every time they start a song from Game Henge, everyone in the place is going, "Is this going to be when they do game?" Uh, every you know, depending on what it's going to be. But yeah, they have not done something like that in a long time. I guess. Hey Brian, did you just pull that date out of, out of nowhere? Did you know that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dave, I'm always in awe of of those dates, and I'm always thinking, you guys, because I've known Dave. Dave has been like that forever, so uh, I, I feel <laughs> Dave has found this kindred spirit in you. That that was yeah, that was the the when we knew this would be a success was when we uh, were just able to kind of rattle off uh, specific dates. Um, we we do a lot of prep most of the time, but that's definitely one that's. Um, uh, while it should be like stock information or investment information, I, I always say it's, right. it's, it's fish information in my head. It what the other me, game hinges. <laughs> it'll make me no richer, but it will, uh, it'll be there to make me happy. Yeah. It's March 22nd, 1993 from Sacramento. And then what was the other one? June 26, 94 from West Virginia? Is that game yeah, waste? and there's one right. from 91 that's semi-incomplete from, uh, I think, Bellingham, Washington. Uh, they play it kind of scattered throughout the set, but those are the three complete ones. But well, with Game Henge, everyone is always everyone is very happy to hear Tila. That's like the big Game Henge ballad. That's great. Everyone loves to get a Colonel Forbins and the like famous Mockingbird. That's fantastic. You know, it's yeah. it's I- Game Henge. Fun too. Iculus, yes. Uh huh. Absolutely. Um. In writing like other Josh Cohen, I mean, what I liked about it, I mean, with something like Gamehenge, it's evident that Fish had like a sense of humor when they did it. You couldn't listen to that and think like Trey screaming about the evil King Wilson and think that this guy, he's obviously funny. He knows what he's shooting for. Mm -hmm. With something like Josh Cohen, was there ever a time when I guess you were scared the audience wouldn't laugh with you when you did it? I mean, comedy is scary in general because... It's just harder, uh, you know, and there's, it's immensely honest. They either laugh or they don't. Um, but but I definitely agree with what you with what you say about them and their music in general. I thought it was playful and fun, and and joyous and silly, and I liked that there was 
a lack of seriousness. And then when it was necessary, yeah, but but to, to what they were doing. And I thought that that was extremely interesting about Gamehenge. It's honestly what I liked about it. As much as the story, I just liked the tone of it. There was nothing else kind of like it. Um, and uh, And I think that during the other Josh Cohen, absolutely we thought of, of that tone. I think it's just been inbred in me since I heard it back then, you know, to bring a kind of silliness and playfulness and, and fun to, to the proceedings. And they were there opening night, which was really fun. It all. Oh, really? I did not know that. Yeah. Trey and Mike were yep. at opening night of the show. And oh, wow. there's yep. a point in the other Josh Cohen where, where there's a, you know, as you know, there's only a few, he gets robbed. There's a few things in his apartment. And one of those things is a Darth Vader phone, landline phone. And it comes to life at the end of the show. And he comes down and, and in our version, he came out of the fridge and he like kicked it open and started playing this guitar solo in the audience. <laughs> and I looked down at the opening night and there was Darth Vader standing above Trey and Trey and playing this guitar solo. <laughs> Trey's just beaming. Uh, and I thought, wow, that's amazing. This, I, I wanted to write because of, them and here they are watching the show that we created very full circle that's that's wonderful that's phenomenal i mean just aside from game hinge i mean and listen to fish where do you hear like the broadway connection with that band and just not even josh cohen just broadway just in general across the spectrum i feel like fish is more of a sponge and they soak up other genres and put it through their filter a bit so I feel like they are have Broadway in them to some extent, um, the, but but I think that it's all over. I mean, it's not just you know. In thinking about like what what kind of musicals sound like Fish, there's not a lot. No, I mean, Walter hands on a hard body because Trey wrote the music. Um, <laughs> uh, but but other than that, there aren't a ton. There are shows that are in the style of some of their songs um, and have cool syncopated rhythms and fun musical like sort of riffs going on that feel very fish. But I think it's more in like the style and tone of, of them, you know, like um, just the whimsical nature of it. I think there are musicals that feel like in fish's universe more than they would be written by fish. Right. Like the Who's Tommy, as a, which is a musical from the concept sure. album, and is a very small version of that. I mean, for me, I think it was always kind of like fish shows, Broadway, there's an intermission, there's a beginning, there's an end, and it kind of, like, I think with the best fish shows, when everything is in sync and it's working, they almost kind of take on like a narrative arc. And yeah. although, obviously, with the Broadway, you know, the idea is to nail it the same way night after night after night, there's still elements of like a high wire act. And, right. you know, I've been to enough fish shows to know that it, not everything always works all the time. We always say here in beyond the pond that even like the worst fish show is probably better than just about anything else you could be doing that night. I totally agree. <laughs> but when it's good, it's extremely good. Well, I think to that point, and you yeah. speak about the two sets, there's, there's a narrative arc to, especially the second sets that, for me, I mean, it's very different from most uh, rock concerts I can go to where when the song selection is right, when the playing is right, when they can segue some like a jam into a fitting song that then builds itself into 
you know, a, a breather, a ballad that's going to come three or four songs into the set, finish it off on a high note. You can listen to that. It sounds like an album. It sounds like uh, a full narrative arc to that set. I don't know if you guys hear that as well. hundred mm-hmm. percent. I mean, I, I, it tells, I think it tells a story at best. Yeah. It feels like you like, and you don't quite know, and everyone has their own personal journey from it, but it feels like there was, yeah, like you said, a beginning, middle, and end, and and uh, and and it feels like, yeah, you you got something out of it. You had a full experience, which is similar to a theater. I guess theater is just two sets with an intermission. But it's interesting because, of course, in theater, most of the time, it's it's pre-written. We know exactly what we're going to do. Sure. And like you said, the same. And it's such an interesting thing to me. Um, learning about how their music is chosen at the very last minute, you know, like they arrive and they get a full page of possibilities from Trey and then 20 minutes before the show, it's like, okay, here's the 30 songs we might do in the first set. You know, I mean, that's such an interesting last minute improvised, like you really have to be on your toes and their repertoire is also just so ginormous. It's incredible. This is some actually. This is like some interesting inside baseball. So you're saying that basically, Trey's just got like the song list on stage. Before then, it's, it's like when they arrive, um, they get the the list of songs, which could be a whole lot. Could be like fifty right. songs, um, and then closer to time after sound check, like I don't know, a half hour before or something. It's it's a, a narrowed down list, and then from there. Trey's calling it out on stage. So they have that list of maybes and then he calls it to Paige and then Paige tells Mike or, you know, uh, kind of nuts. And they just, here we go. Here's this song. And they just know it all. I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> it it almost, to, to your point, it, it almost is in line with, and it reminds me of, um, I think it was Trey who was speaking about it during the um, Long May They Run series where they were talking about Second City, which is, is a form of theater in the sense that, you know, people are paying to come and see a performance, but there's obviously a lot of improvisation that goes on within each evening's performance that there's obviously like the pre written to a sense structure, but I don't think the band knows what's going to happen when they walk up on the stage and from song to song, so much of it is based off of whatever Trey's throwing out at that point in time. If they want to continue jamming or if they want to go into a different song and, I think that Dave and I talk about it all the time where like what, what works within a set versus what doesn't. A lot of it is just like spur of the moment decisions by Trey that, uh, that yeah. leads to it. Oh, yeah. I was going to say improv is improv is a huge part. You asked about the other Josh Cohen, the guy who I wrote it with Steve Rosen and I became friends yeah. at doing improv. That was our thing. Oh, that's a great story. You have to tell them how you met. Well, we, David. we met at summer camp. And, and we were both auditioning to do like an improv troupe and, and just were on stage and made each other laugh and, and became fast friends. So actually the improv thing was also another thing that I liked about fish. You're right that you bring that up. It's so much like improv um, yeah. and, and some of it works and some of it doesn't work. And in the moment and, and, but it, it never derails you. And actually sometimes the stuff that worked the least comes around and ends up being it pays off the most. And, I, and it's the most exhilarating that way. Yeah. What was the summer camp? French Woods. Oh, yeah. 
If you were Jewish and lived in the tri-state area, oh, yeah. or California, you <laughs> and you like the art. Yeah. Yeah, my, my wife went to that, but not the art one. She's, oh, really? Yeah. And we... Yeah. I didn't know there were different ones. I've mm-hmm. been hearing yeah. about Frenchwoods since yeah. Josh Cohen, but I... I went to one like that was like Frenchwoods, oh. Camp Emerson. It was the same concept. It was basically... Yeah, Jewish kids at sleepaway camp yeah. listen to fish. Yeah, and and uh, I'm meeting a lot of people who went to French Woods <laughs> now because we're getting involved with um, a lot of Joe Iconis' crew. And so a lot of those guys, like Lance Rubin, oh, yeah. he went there. I know. I think he was around there around the same time you were, Dave. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Those guys are crazy. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Yeah. Who is this Joe Iconis mm-hmm. you speak of? Oh, funny you should ask, Dave. Uh, uh, well done. <laughs> <laughs> nice segue. Um, so in that was like a fish segue, it, it was, it was, it was, it was so nice, improvised. Nice, uh, yeah. Um, so in true beyond the pond fashion, I wanted to come up, I, I was trying to think of, uh, some Broadway show that really kind of would introduce the fish fans to uh, a type of show, a Broadway show that they, that has some similarities to fish. Um, and you know, I've seen a lot of shows, but the thing that I think really, comes to me is not so much one particular show, but um, the music and shows of Joe Iconis. Um, now, he, Joe Iconis is a, is a musical theater writer and performer. He's been nominated for Tony Awards. Um, he's most famously known for his show, Be More Chill, uh, which played at the Lyceum Theater this past summer, into this, uh, spring into the summer. Uh, now that he got a Tony nomination for Best Original Score, um, he's had three other musicals open this year, Be More Chill, as I mentioned, uh, Broadway Bounty Hunter, which starred Annie Golden from Orange is the New Black, um, and uh, another show that just opened and closed in Red Bank, New Jersey called uh, Love and Hate Nation. And each one of these shows is very unique um, and um, with a totally different theme. Um, and the thing about Joe Iconis that really stands out about and that's different than other types of Broadway shows is that um, his his live performance is really what defines him very much like Fish um, and yes the Broadway shows he has are live but he also has these specials where um, the most most famous one he has is this Christmas special <laughs> which actually I just went to it yesterday um, and it's a two and a half hour long show that with no intermission, he gives everyone a warning at the beginning saying, if you think this is going to be short, you're wrong, <laughs> you know, sit back and, and enjoy it. It's like a live performance like nothing I've seen before. It, it's like there are about 30 to 40 Broadway actors and singers that are devout fans of Joe Iconis. It's it's kind of analogous to the Fish fans and how much love they have for the band. It's kind of similar with the actors and their love for Joe. It's a very strange thing, but there's these amazingly talented writers and performers come um, and they they do this show. And it's I it's hard to describe. I kind of think of it as like a dirty version of a Prairie Home Companion. <laughs> you know, it, it's like it's like a very bizarre combination of show tunes and cabaret and rock improv um and it's all immersive there the actors are all around you you're in this place called uh it's a fine scenes 54 below it's a small um uh, theater um it's actually the old studio 54 um 
And it's just, it's, it's amazing. So, um, and, and a lot of the songs that he has, um, oh, another thing is that a lot of Joe's success had to do with the, the rise of, um, uh, from bootleg um, recordings of his shows, kind of similar to uh, with Fish. Um, Be More Chill became an internet sensation and had a sold out run on an off-Broadway production, just all with like no advertising, all from just word of mouth from from all these uh, bootlegs. And it's funny, at the end of Broadway Bounty Hunter, when it closed, he he came up and he, he gave a little speech saying, you know, I'm not supposed to say this, but um, I guess I really owe a lot of my success to all these illegal recordings. So you know, even though we're not supposed to do it, I guess, thank you for recording, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. So um, <laughs> it, it's great. And, and, you know, and, and there's a lot of his songs that they have in there kind of remind me of like a similar style to a, the way a fish song is designed. Um, there's this one song that they play at the end of pretty much every one of his Joe Iconis um, live shows, the, the, either the Christmas special or one of his other family shows. Um, and it's called the goodbye song. And it starts, it kind of reminds me a little of Piper where it starts off very quiet and melodic and gentle, and then it slowly builds into this giant crescendo and this massive wall of sound and energy, and you just can't help but get up and start dancing and involved. And all of these singers are on the stage and surrounding you, and you're like hit with this massive wall of sound. You're like, holy crap. And then it just all ends, and you're just left there like wanting Mm. more. Um, And it's just you know, remind me a lot of what it's like at the end of a, you know, it's like, it's almost like when you know, you hear a tweezer and then at the end, you know, tweezer reprise is coming. You know how it goes. It is, they don't, imp- they don't change that up too much, but it's still, it just hits you. And there's something about that song and something about it. Just, it, it gets you. And same thing with that. Um, and you know, it, it's really nice. Like, you know, it's coming and you're looking forward to it and it's going to be fucking awesome. Exactly. And, and right. like, you know, with fish, everyone in, the fish fans, they all consider themselves like a big family, you know, whether with a PH or an F, you know, and it's funny because Joe Iconis, if you ask these actors, they'll say, oh yeah, I'm part of the Joe Iconis family. Um, and they even put these things in their bios in playbills. Like if you look at these actors, they'll say, is a proud member of the Joe Iconis family. And you just don't really see that. And I feel like Joe Iconis is kind of like, you know, he's an amazing employer too. Like, you know, like Fish. It's like they have this whole enterprise and they employ all these roadies and, you know, all, you know, the everyone at these concerts. And I don't know. It's it's just it's it's different and I see a lot of similarities and I just felt that it was appropriate. I was it's funny, actually, I was thinking this is the thing that kind of gave me the idea for for having a Broadway version, in addition to my undeniable love for the other Josh Cohen and uh you know, and that, that goes without saying, I, I, I feel like you guys can, t- I could go on and on about the, going, but I'll let you guys do that. It's not as, not as, um, not as exciting coming from me. Also, I'm not mistaken. He's also in a way like fish and that, um, it took a very, very, very long time for the mainstream critics to come around to fish. Mm-hmm. Very true. Very true. And unfortunately, the mainstream the times hasn't been his friend quite, are not quite there for Joe. Um, you know, there's uh, particularly the New York Times, and unfortunately, as I'm sure you guys know, um, the New York Times can either make or break the life of a of a Broadway or off Broadway show. So, which is very unfortunate, and you can, that's a whole other topic. But um, you know, yeah, <laughs> they've less influence these days. Funny enough, people are honestly the bootleg way is is coming more 
is becoming more powerful and just yeah. grassroots word of mouth. Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, you're not really allowed to YouTube Broadway shows, so bootlegs. Where I'm just curious is where is it the boot? Where is it coming from? No, like they, rehearsals? Yeah, or? they're on YouTube. You just have to know what to look for. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, they're hard. They're hard to find, but I mean, Mark. My wife, my wife. I mean, I'm a Broadway fan, but you really should have my wife on this show because she knows like ten times as much as I do. She knows where to find all of them. Like, there's all these different. Often adding the words that, "not" that to the beginning. This them. is not a bootleg of Wicked, you know, or whatever. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but it's yeah. tricky because, of yeah. course, you know, especially things that are aimed at kids and young people who are interested in theater but don't live in New York. For a lot of them, and a lot growing up that's their only access point right that's a good point like so you're not it's a tricky tricky conversation you're not originally from new york right i'm not no i grew up in seattle okay seattle yeah. then what brought you over here i mean just because it's like the place well, to do musical theater or thing to do theater yeah i got a degree in musical theater at the university of miami so i went seattle to miami and then i moved to new york after that okay yeah. what have you been working on most recently like you're up in albany right now I'm, right i'm up in albany right now i'm in a show called um live from wvl it's a wonderful life which is uh it's set in the 1940s in a radio station where every year they do a radio play of it's a wonderful life but this year, a winter storm has kept all the regular actors from uh, getting to the station. So four people who don't usually perform all these roles take on all of the voices from the movie and do all of the live Foley sound effects. So it's like if you take like a noises off, everything's going wrong, we're unrehearsed, we're trying to make it work, and we're doing all these crazy voices, and then add that to the sweetness that is It's a Wonderful Life. That is the show. <laughs> My goodness. Do they, yeah. do they have you playing Mary? Uh, yep, I'm playing Mary. Okay. So we've got external characters who, of course, have like little romances, and then we, you know, the guy that, that I fall in love with outside of the radio station is the one who plays George. And so we get our little framing devices, which are, it's very cute. We do 1940s commercials. And ironically, and David, I don't know if I told you this, music director saw Josh Cohen and loved it. And so because he'd seen me play all those instruments in Josh Cohen, I'm playing a lot more instruments in the show than we originally anticipated. Oh, you're <laughs> kidding. I'm no, so it's hard. great. It's so much fun. You know, I don't like to be bored. So I'm having a blast. <laughs> they loved it yeah he loved the show so much and and so uh so we got to kind of widen widen the instrument range of of this little show up here too what led you to um the decision to do josh cohen like once in the sense of having all the instruments up on stage was that always from the beginning was there ever you thought you're gonna have like a pit or what's was that part and parcel of it from the start Actually, I think we always envisioned the show, writing it as we were writing it, something that anyone could do in any way they wanted. Not unlike A Christmas Carol or the, like, you know, how they do it every year everywhere. We were like, it sort of happens around Valentine's Day. It's, it's kind of the anti-romantic comedy, you know, people could do it, Valentine's Day. It's, it's, we always thought that it was something you could do with two guys and a guitar on a table or like 30 people or 30 kids right. and a pit, you know, 
and or on a piano. Um, and that's what's right now is happening now that it's just got licensed. It's, it's yeah, it's happening all over the place. And we, it's funny, you know, yeah. just today, someone, you know, they, they're going to do a production here and this, this, you know, meanwhile, this high school is going to do it here. And I think just, um, for us, the most, the, the cool way that us and the director had decided, you know, this, we could tell the story was with the instruments, um, us and us playing. And there is a kind of like thematic storyline about how, you know, instruments are passed and how music is passed along and how important it is. And, and there, and so we felt like that would be kind of fun. Um, but really we hope that people do it a million different ways. It was just the story, tell the story and do it however you want. Where else is it going to be playing? Um, it's going to be, well, they're just starting to figure that out now, but there's, there's actually like productions happening in Canada, wow. um, <laughs> Denver, you know, Denver, I'm Brian, to go there. Yeah. I need to see that. Um, and yeah, a bunch of other places. It just came in, uh, Pennsylvania and, and yeah. So yeah. So like we always do on Beyond the Pond, we always are like trying to get certain songs that would make, you know, people that enjoy fish would try to like, you know, I guess jog their memory to get into some other genre. So I think what I'd ask you guys to do was if you can think of like a Broadway show that you really liked that somebody who might like the tone of fish or the idea could get into and then pick a song. Like, do you guys have anything in particular that you want us to showcase? Um, I mean, the the two that, that came to my mind were certainly once, just because uh, that style is so great. And I know since Mike Gordon Band has already done When Your Mind's Made Up and uh, If You Want Me, Gold. Yeah, other cool ones would be Gold from that show. That's a really beautiful song. Um, yeah, and Say It To Me Now is a yeah, super song. stunning piece in that one and then i love the who's tommy and a lot of the music from that is fun and i'm sure people already know that music uh but it is interesting if you ever see a production happening somewhere that would be a good one to check out fish has actually played stuff from tommy i know the instrumental sparks has made its way into a bunch of shows I think as recently as December 30th, 2016. Yeah. There I go again. <laughs> and then um, they played the song and the big time finale, We're Not Gonna Take It. I was at a show in um, October 8th, 90. Yeah, Nassau 99, when um, Tom Marshall came out and sang it. So that was the guy. It was Tommy Sings Tommy, mm. which was, that was a very fun evening. So yeah, Tommy. Well, of course, you have the whole Quadrophenia performance. Oh yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, I mean, Quadrophenia, you know, was another Who album that Fish has covered in entirety. So Tommy's very appropriate. Yeah, true, yes. true. Yeah. I also think of uh, some some of the interesting music because so much of the Fish stuff are such cool jams and so musically complex and interesting. Makes me think of a composer named Adam Gettle, who's actually okay. the grandson of uh, Richard Rogers of Rogers and Hammerstein, and hmm. he writes incredibly complex musical stuff. Some of his shows include um, Floyd Collins, 
and myths and hymns, which is a song cycle. And it just has really interesting stuff. Hero and Leander is a great song to check out in that world. Okay. It's funny. I was gonna, it's funny. I was going to say too, Elizabeth, I was going to bring up Floyd Collins. Cause I oh, that's so funny. Good. Yeah. I, it just occurred to me now. And I was like, Oh yeah, that would be, that would be a good fit. What song would you say from Floyd Collins? People should start with. Uh, I, I think I would say either lucky or how glory goes, yep. but I think, that, I think that, um, and there's a song the reporters sing. I just think that it's, I mean, this, it's actually, you guys, it's a story of a, about a kid who fell, it's a true story true in Kentucky story. about a kid who fell down a well. Or excuse me, he didn't fall down a well, he was in a cave. And it, he got yeah, he got And they couldn't get him out. And the whole musical, he's trapped in the cave. But alive and which, talking course, to people and they can communicate to him. It's how great. much cave reference alone is there in Fish, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, but. Uh, no, I was going to say, so Floyd Collins. All right, I'm yeah. actually hearing about this for the first time. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I would add that. I would add, um, I would say for me, I have this, it's an older musical, but it's one of my favorites. It's called Blood Brothers. Yes. yes. Oh, sure. And I, and I love the show. And a lot of people will contest me, but I think it's just fantastic. And I, I remember seeing it and thinking, again, the score felt a little more contemporary, maybe slightly more Floyd than Fish, but I think the fans would appreciate the story and would appreciate the musical. Um, if I had to choose a song from it, I would say um, maybe um, Shoes Upon the Table. Sounds sort of fish-esque. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's another show called Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. One-man show. But the, again, I yep, think that yep. there's a part of that that feels like in the fish world. And, um, and it's, a, it's kind of about a band in a way. Uh, and I would say for that, uh, Wicked Little Town is a great song for fish fans to hear, and also Wig in a Box. The title track, Angry Inch, also, I think. Yeah. Is awesome for that. I'll yeah. say for me, I mean, I'm like incredibly old fashioned. My favorite musical of all time is probably Fiddler on the Roof. Huh? Listening totally. to, thinking like, the only thing that kind of sounds like fish is there's so much klezmer in Fiddler, and then when they play Sin of a Mule, the whole like the mule duel at the end is like the very like klezmerish <laughs> that kind of sounds like to life in in, in Fiddler. It's awesome. But for me, God, I think I must have been nine years old and I saw Fiddler for the first time at the Cape Cod Playhouse in Dennis, Massachusetts. Oh, that's where I did my fourth once last summer. <laughs> oh, awesome. Yeah. I was just like, wow. This is uh, everything I need to hear about music and Judaism in one place. <laughs> Perfect. And, and since then, I've seen it on Broadway. I've seen it off Broadway. I saw it performed by a bunch of senior citizens at a Jewish community center in Long Island. Aww. That was... Uh, Works every time, though, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I just saw the version in Yiddish. It blew my mind. Yeah. yeah. Plus, I was That's probably bad. the like, youngest person there by 15 years. So <laughs> Totally. David, weren't you in Fiddler on the Roof? I was in Fiddler on the Roof, yes. I was in Fiddler on the Roof on Broadway with Alfred Molina. Was, was that the revival? It was a revival, yeah. Nice. Um, and uh, Alfred yeah. Molina played Tevye? Yeah, he played Tevye. Oh, that's so perfect. Harvey Firestein. But I'll tell you, I agree with you, having been in it, and also that it's a very clever uh, fish reference to make. 
And it's also, I think, the best written musical. Okay. Organic. It feels like, because, you know, musicals are often written by a few different people, um, like a band, actually. You know, it's a play is one person ordinarily, you know, so it always feels organic. It's one voice. Uh, but a musical needs to feel like one voice, but it's written by a bunch of voices. And so uh, that one for me feels like one of the most organically written musicals. And I, and, you know, 50 years later, I, 60 years later, I, I agree. I still think it's one of the best. Yeah. I mean, what was kind of neat, my folks are always big into Broadway, like car sing-alongs. So, I mean, growing up, it was a lot of cats in the car, a lot of Les Mis. And then one of my happiest moments as a dad, I'll just say, um, I've got a five-year-old daughter and a seven-month-old daughter. And one of my happiest moments, I think when my daughter was three, we would just force lots of Hamilton on her in the car. And then one day in the back of the car, she actually said, like, can we listen to more Hamilton, Daddy? I just looked at, I looked at my wife and started crying. So... Oh, <laughs> yeah. And and, and, I, and I'll say, you know, having grown up with Dave, Dave and I, our history is uh, we went to high school together. We were both in the marching mm. band and there was a, there was a lot of uh, show tunes being played in the marching band, a lot of Les Mis. So, you know, we had a, a lot of that there. That's awesome. I want to know, though, when your daughter asked to hear like first two. Hmm. <laughs> She's more big on the dead. That's easier than getting kids. In. It's easier to get kids into the dead than fish. I have, I have the same thing with, with my son. We we probably play more fish than the dead in the house, but we do play a lot of Grateful Dead. And for whatever reason, my son is constantly asking to listen to the Grateful Dead. I don't know if there's like the dreamlike aspect of Jerry Garcia's guitar, whereas fish is more progressive and uh, uh-huh. like more structured and he'll like reach an age when he wants that. But it's... Uh, he just wants to hear that uh, that Jerry tone that seems to come from the heavens. It's so funny. Have, have you brought the kids to a fish concert? I have not brought them to a to a actual fish concert. I've, the closest thing he's been to is um, there's a group. I think they're nationally the Rock and Roll Kids Playhouse that does. Um, uh, they they get cover bands together to play shows at like eleven thirty in the morning on Saturday and Sunday mornings. And they open the place up like a normal concert hall. They sell beer for the parents, but um, <laughs> they do Grateful Dead, Bob Marley, Fish, and so he's he's been to a couple of those. So he he's felt the vibes. He's seen a glow stick war. He's danced around, do that, you know, like run like an antelope, and you enjoy myself, but uh, not the real thing. That's a it's a point of contention debate within my house. My wife really wants to bring him, and I I just don't know. If, uh, if if I'm ready for it yet. How old is he? My son is uh, four and it's... a half. Yeah. Mm. I might be a little young. Yeah, I've, I've my seen kid... it, but I just I just can't do it. <laughs> I think my, my kids say they want to go. I don't think they really want to go. But I will say, since we're talking about our kids and fish, one of my proudest moments was when my older two kids came down to the basement and did an interpretive dance to Breath and Burning. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when you say that song's in big boat kids you have to let like, do better than that i know but i, I that's i felt like i really did I, I i did well as a father so anyway really me and brian want to thank you guys all for getting together this has been great i think there's a lot of very interesting fish broadway crossover here so 
appreciate you like taking some time out of your evenings. I know it's a bit late here on the East Coast, but this uh, I think this turned out really well. Yeah, thank you guys. Yeah, our thank you guys so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you guys. This is wonderful. Stay in touch and say hi at a show. Come to New Year's. <laughs> but faith is hoping for something. Believe in what you can't see. I have faith all my life. I want to ask you something. Is it warm? Is it soft against your face? Do you feel it kind of grace inside the breeze? Will there be trees? Is there light? Does it hover on the ground? Does it shine from all around? Or just from you?
time has come. I'm flying away. Mouth is numb. Heart don't know what to say. And although I'll be out of sight, dear, no, I'll be right here, right here forever, ever, ever, ever. And when you look to the night skies, don't think of goodbyes. Think. How I'm right here, ever, ever, ever. Thank you for teaching me lessons. Thank you for listening to mine. Man, you know how to ride. Like now, don't be scared. You'll be fine. And although I'll be out of sight, dear, no, I'll be right here, right here forever, ever, ever, ever. And when. Night skies. Don't think of goodbyes. Think how I'm right here, ever, ever, ever. Come. No, you can't come with me. Stay. If I could, but the universe won't let me. So please be good. Sight, dear. No, I'll be right here, right here forever, ever, ever, ever. And when you look 
home, think of goodbyes. Think how I'm right here ever, ever, ever. And although I'll be out of sight, dear, no, I'll be right here, right here forever, ever, ever, ever. And when you look to the night skies, don't think of goodbyes. Think how I'm right here, ever, 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 ever.
The reckoning be delayed, but a debt is a debt and must be paid. You do know what they say about twins secretly parted, don't you? What? What? They say that if either twin learns he was one of a pair, they shall both immediately die. It means, Mrs. Johnston, that these brothers shall grow up unaware of each other's existence. They shall be raised apart and never ever told what was once the truth. You won't tell anyone about this, Mrs. Johnston. Because if you do, you will kill them. Shoes upon the table and a spider's been killed. Someone broke the looking glass. There's a full moon shining and the salt's been spilled. You're walking on pavement cracks. Don't know what's gonna come to pass. Now you know the devil's got your number. You know he's gonna find you. You know he's right behind you. He's staring through your windows. He's creeping down the hole. Ain't no point in clutching at your rosary. You're always gonna know what was done. Even when you shut your eyes, you still see. Sold a son, and you can't tell anyone 